everyone. This is Liz Easton, and I wanted to take a quick second to invite you to listen in to the PC Book Club. <laughs> Wait, I need to start again. <laughs> Hi, everyone. This is Liz Easton, and I wanted to take a quick second to invite you to listen to the PC Book Club, a.k.a. PCBC. Every so often, Ricardo Avila and I chat about the books that you should be reading right now. It's just like sitting on your own private book club discussion, only there's probably slightly more references to true crime and Charles Dickens. <laughs> I did not write this. <laughs> um, we may have to re-record that anyway, because I think you just said it's just like sitting on your own <laughs> private book club. She did. That was great. Sitting on a book club. Sitting on a private book club. That's pretty racy. Sorry. Should I try again? It's just like sitting in on your own private book club discussion, only there's probably slightly more references to true crime and Charles Dickens. So if you're looking for the class with an occasional dose of the sass, then check out the PC Book Club right here on the Popping Collars feed. Class and sass. Love it. <laughs> I was praying Previously on Popping Collars. Welcome back to the new and improved Take Two. I'm your host, Greg Knight, and here's the deal. Sometimes, for whatever reason, it's just not possible for us to record one of our monthly pods. This is one of those months. Don't worry. We've got a new episode coming soon, I promise. But part of what comes with being the longest-running Episcopal podcast is that we have nine years of bad takes to look back on. I'm going to set you up. It was our 39th episode of the podcast. The date was May 12th, 2016, and the subject was pop music. And this was the first time that all four of your favorite Guilty Pleasure pod hosts were together again for the first time. Betsy, Liz, and I had brought Ricardo on to talk about the recent release of Beyonce's Lemonade and the recent passing of pop superstar Prince. Here we go. We're going to listen back to this old pod and through the power of editing, be able to insert updates and contextual sound clips. So jump in the Wayback Machine with me as we get a second take on episode 39 of the pod entitled Dearly Beloved. Dearly Beloved, we are gathered to get through this thing called life. Previously on Popping Collars. There was no one there to teach uh, Daenerys, you know, how to be queen. She had to learn that herself uh, the hard way over and over again. She didn't have her Targaryen parents to prepare her for that. Yeah, she had a crappy brother to prepare her. <laughs> creepy brother. <laughs> crappy, creepy brother.
Welcome to Poppin' Collars, the podcast that lives at the intersection between religion and pop culture. I'm your host. My name is Greg Knight. I am in Palm Beach, Florida, and with me are my co-hosts, Betsy Gonzalez from Alexandria, Virginia. Hello, Betsy. Hey, Greg. And Liz Easton from Omaha, Nebraska. Hi, Liz. Hey, Greg. And our special guest from Long Beach, California, Ricardo Avila. Welcome back to the show, Ricardo. Thanks, Greg. It's a pleasure to be here. Okay. I'm not sure what's up with the very quick introductions. I'm sure it will pay off later. But in the meantime, let's just chalk it up to us being baby podcasters. All right, back to the show. This is episode 39 of the 1199th ranked podcast in the iTunes (laughs) spirituality category. And our topic today is pop music. So there have been a couple of big items of pop music news lately. The first was the tragic passing of Prince a couple of weeks ago. And that was almost immediately followed by the release of Beyonce's new album, Lemonade. And both of these things had people talking about the role that pop music plays in people's lives, giving wide cross-sections of society a common soundtrack. So who's a, who is a pop music touchstone for you personally, and what would you say makes that band or singer so appealing for lots of people? Um, I thought of Nirvana. Oh, which I'm, interesting. Which I'm still a little young for, but like that, um, I think it's interesting that now you see like Nirvana t-shirts. Oh, shut up, Betsy. You see like Nirvana t-shirts being sold at Target and yes. um, younger people are sort of rebelling by listening to grunge music from the 90s, which is kind of strange. But there's something um, totally pop-ish about like Nevermind, right? Like it's very catchy. It You can sing along. It's like rock music kind of slash punk that you can actually sing along to. It was super, you know, kind of dark and plaintive and then had this story alongside of the people that was compelling and then ultimately tragic. So like my brother's, you know, my brother's a few years older than me. He would listen to Nirvana. And and now you can you'll hear it on like a classic rock station. So they kind of busted out of like indie rock and became like the standard of pop music. And it drove their the leader of their band crazy right. as a result. I mean, yeah, I mean, th- I think that that's something that can't be divorced from this is that it seems like pop music that transcends boundaries has some kind of compelling cult of personality leader that's at the forefront of whatever that music mm-hmm. is. Because you could argue that Britney Spears was one of these artists that was maybe be like the pop artist of her time. And there was something about the millennium award at whatever, is it billboard? There's some award show that's coming up and she's going to get this kind of millennium award. That's only been given like previously one other time to Whitney Houston, another, you know, cult of personality, you know, in the, in the crucible of fame kind of person. I mean, thriller is a great album and that's great music, but it's Michael Jackson. That's compelling. Mm-hmm. Right at the end of the day, uh, and maybe that's what's happening with Beyonce with Lemonade right now. You know, obviously she has a message that she wants to say. She's using music to say it. But if it were someone other than Beyonce, would it be as compelling? Would it be as talked about? Would it be in the zeitgeist like it is? No, that's my one-word contribution to the podcast. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, I'm failing miserably. No. no. Um, I don't know a lot about Beyonce. I know that she seems to have a hold on pop culture like nobody else in a way. 
like when she drops these, you know, these new compilations overnight, this is the second time she's done this, I think. Right. Mm -hmm. And, um, she's, she constantly surprises. She's got a level of artistry that, you know, you can't say, well, that's a crappy album. And I think she's, I don't know. I would argue she has some authenticity. I would say it's maybe there is some sort of crafting of image with like with Madonna, but as with Madonna, I think she does have something important she wants to say. And the thing about the moms with the, with the young men and women and boys and girls killed, I think that's that's not crafting. That's actually using her artistry and her kind of power in the world to bring a message that, you know, kids wouldn't listen to if it were Hillary Clinton necessarily, for instance. But because it's Beyonce, there is there is more to it. That makes sense. Sure. I, I, I was I was just gonna say I wonder like what would have happened if Lemonade was Beyonce's first album. I don't know if that could be nope, the first. Exactly. Album. I don't think so either. She's like you. You wonder if like the the power that she. I think it's really admirable and respectable that she sort of paid. I don't know if she paid her dues, but she built a following and she built a career on maybe slightly lighter fare. And then when she was ready, she just like dropped a bomb. It, that was like super powerful and culturally, I think, really um, current and important and smart. I tried to change. Closed my mouth more. Tried to be softer, prettier, less awake. Fasted for 60 days. Wore white. Abstained from mirrors. Abstained from sex. Slowly did not speak another word. In that time, my hair, I grew past my ankles. I slept on a mat on a floor. I swallowed a sword. I levitated. Went to the basement. Confessed my sins and was baptized in a river. Got on my knees and said amen and said I mean. I whipped my own back and asked for dominion at your feet. I threw myself into a volcano. I drank the blood and drank the wine. I sat alone and begged and bent at the waist for God. I crossed myself and thought I saw the devil. I grew thick in skin on my feet. I bathed in bleach and plugged my menses with pages from the holy book. But still inside me, coiled deep, was the need to know. Are you cheating on me? Are you cheating on me? They don't love you like I love you. Slow down. They don't love you like I love you. Back up. They don't love you like I love you. Step down. They don't love you like I love you. Can't you see there's no other? My thought is I was just thinking back to like the big celebrity concert thing that was that was kind of in 80s, late 70s, 80s. I think probably the concert for Bangladesh organized by George Harrison might have been the first like get everybody together for this cause, right? And then it was We Are the World and it's Ethiopia. And then it's Live Aid and it's all of these artists that we've just talked about from the 80s participating in that. And that element of, well, people are listening to us. Why don't we band together and use all of this clout for good to raise awareness around particular issues? And I think we all know bands who have done that and done it well. I mean, Arcade Fire does it for Haiti. Every ticket they sell, money goes to Haiti. They play shows down there. They're big partners and health folks. U2 has done it for a variety of causes. 
I remember as a kid, I knew because of the music I listened to, I knew who Greenpeace was. I knew who Amnesty International was. Like yeah. all of those folks who had latched into these larger social organizations to say, you know what? You like my music? Actually, you know what I also care about is how we're going to build a better kingdom of God. And that's some of their background for some of them here and now. I mean, the the amount of charity that Prince did as a Jehovah's Witness that just nobody knew about, nobody knew about, completely under wraps, you know, so from public to private, living out your clout and using it in a way that's effective. But also like this idea of backlash to messages also, because I was thinking about Beyonce and the backlash that she got back from the Super Bowl performance this last year from maybe more conservative camps, who knows, but certainly people that thought that she had gone too far in uh, presenting messages and we're saying things like, look, you're just a pop artist, right? Just do pop music. Just sing your sing your silly songs, right? Like um right. like Liz was saying earlier, the lighter fair, right? Sing sing crazy in love, you know, something like a sing sing something that's safe because this boundary pushing is making me uncomfortable because I have you slotted in my head as pop artist. And that means that you shouldn't necessarily be saying saying anything meaningful. You should be singing stuff that's just entertaining earworm fare. I feel I feel like that was some of the backlash. Well, um, it's in the same way it's like you know parishioners who think it's tacky to talk about politics in the pulpit. You know, don't do that. You know, you're my priest. You talk about God stuff. Don't start talking about how that's actually supposed to affect my life outside of this place and the relationships I have and how I make my money and. And who I vote for, you know, don't don't start busting down genres and walls in that kind of way in my life. No, no, no. Church stays in these walls. It doesn't go outside. And it's tacky falacky if you start talking about it from the public. What a fascinating conversation to have prior to the 2016 election, because, boy, is this topic going to hit the fan in November? But, like, I wonder if there's something about, like, being a pop icon that you you kind of know what people want. And so your artistry is how do I say what I want to say and yet still produce things that I know that people want? Um, because I think that it would be the natural move of an artist to want to grow, to want to change, to want to evolve. But I never got the sense that, Michael Jackson, for instance, didn't want to produce a hit song. He showed growth over the course of his career, but he still wanted to make a hit song. Not necessarily his song all the time, but he wanted his his songs to be number ones. I think that when you have this conversation, you can think of pop artists as like independent agents practically and forget the fact that there's this whole machine around them that is making decisions from A to Z. And I, I think that when you see um, some artists to break into that more authentic place, it's because they have more creative control and uh, just more direction of their career rather than just being handled all the time. Yeah. There's a reason why we know who Quincy Jones is. Right. I am an old man. Oh, <laughs> Pop culture is no longer... You know who Quincy Jones is. Of course I do. That's a long time ago. I was thinking about Prince and how the thing for me about Prince, and this wasn't huge because I'm with you, Liz. I, I did. I, I loved Prince at a time and a place. But after a while, it's like 39 albums, you know, probably 
half of those were like, okay, I don't need to hear that again. Sorry, Prince. But um, the big thing, the heady thing for me is Purple Rain came out in 1984, and that's the year I graduated high school. And that's, you know, I was all freaking closeted and freaked out. And so here's this guy singing about, like, not just on Purple Rain, about sex. And can I say these things on this show? Yeah. Yeah. Head and, you know, jack you off and all this stuff, right? And it was, I was closeted, but we were dancing to it. And it was like, Sex was being talked about in this kind of, it was kind of scandalous, but it was out there, you know, at the bar where we went dancing and it was out there on the radio. Well, not all the songs, right? But it was a way for me to kind of hear that sex was good and okay in this funny place. And the way that he mixed religion, that's that's just, that caught me too, because I was, you know, I was a pretty religious boy growing up. I, I didn't go to, I didn't go to church in college, but I did growing up a lot. And it just tripped my trigger to hear him, like I since he died, I realized, you know, the song Darling Nikki on, on Purple Rain. Uh, I don't need to repeat the lyric, I guess. But so the song is like, I guess I will. I knew a girl named Nikki. I guess you could say she was a sex fiend. I met her in a hotel lobby, masturbating with a magazine. She said, how'd you like to waste some time? And I could not resist when I saw little Nikki grind. Um, I met her in a hotel lobby masturbating with a magazine. So I'm like 17 years old and I hear this like, oh my God, that's amazing. Masturbation. They talk about masturbation. I've never, well, anyway, so um, <laughs> recently you find out that at the end of the song, do you know this about the end of the song, the backwards message? So the backwards message at the end of this song about like masturbation and like, you know, chains and whips or whatever. like hello how are you i'm fine because i know that the lord is coming soon at the end of that same song and just like he did that and to me that was that was great i mean that those things echo against each other for some people like me who had religion and sex and didn't know how to reconcile them and here's someone just being kind of out there with it now the, the backwards message was forward in other songs you know so you knew that he was talking about god and adore so, you know, you'll have songs next to each other, you know, Cream, followed by Adore. Is that okay well, to say? What's, what's interesting about Prince and about David Bowie this year and, like, all of the public grieving is how they were two men who were pretty sexy and were showing this different way of being masculine, totally. just, like, writ large all over popular culture. And um, I kind of love that. It was so unchallenging. And I, unchallenged, it was certainly challenged, but... But the fact that, like you said, Ricardo, like those albums got out there, they were being, you could pick them up in the, your town record store. It wasn't just like a, you know, club thing or a city thing. But I, I wonder um, if that was something particular to the 70s and 80s. Like, is mm -hmm. anyone really doing that anymore? Have we become, even as our culture embraces, struggles with, and maybe tries to embrace gender, uh, different gender identities? our pop cultures are pretty straight or like they're not, they're pretty binary. Let's say that. Right. I mean, is there anybody who's really playing with even Madonna did 
Well, well it's I not think, as transgressive yeah. anymore. Yeah. Right. Janet Jackson. Okay. To be fair to the current generation of pop kids, I'm sure there's plenty of sexuality in modern pop music. I think this is a case of us just being old. Harry Styles strikes me as a sexual pop artist in the same mold as Prince and Bowie. And of course, there are a host of pop slash R&B women who are doing many songs that aren't just sex positive, but also body positive. I'm looking at you, Lizzo. Uh, so I would say that we're going a little hard on current generation pop music here. Yeah, I was thinking, I was thinking of the word subversive a little bit and like, you know, how popular music can be subversive. I thought I thought that like um your example of Darling Nikki is amazing Ricardo, right? Because so you know, when uh uh Tipper Gore and the parents council was coming down on um lyrics and stuff like that, they were looking for like subversive messages in songs that were like, oh, okay, like, uh, go worship Satan and blah, 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 right. and, you know, like all of this stuff, right? Um, when in, when Prince is using subversive messages to say, like, you're, you're okay, God loves you, and <laughs> like, Jesus is coming, whatever, you know, like, uh, what we, what, what that council anyway would deem a wholesome message. It, that's the subversive message in something like Darling Nikki. It, it just makes me wonder, like, I mean, we've talked about on our show before how sometimes we're called to be tricksters a little bit. We're called to be mischief makers. We're called to kind of get, messages in to our world that maybe we would be uncomfortable saying overtly, but maybe we can sort of find soft ways to weave in messages of hope, messages of love, messages of transcendence of in a way that people will maybe listen. What I also Um, find is that with many of these people who we seem to be gravitating to in this conversation, they are people who speak openly about their spirituality and their sexuality. Like they see their sexuality as attached to their spiritual life and as a gift from God. And, and I would think about Beyonce would, would probably have that viewpoint. Prince definitely had that viewpoint. Bono. I think about Man- Bono. Oh, totes. I was about to say, see, I held back all this time mentioning you too. Let's just, <laughs> let's just recognize. And yes, that Bono, I mean, all of the, you know, she moves in mysterious ways. Is it about a belly dancer? Is it about the spirit? Who knows, right? It's both. I, I find that that makes it even more potent, attractive, slightly dangerous with the fact that they are so in touch with who they are as sexual beings created by God. You know, I don't know who does that game really well. That's a hard game to, to, to do well. Right, especially in ways that aren't just typically straight. That are not just like, and that are not just sex, right? right? And so, how do you do it with that spiritual edge to it? It sounds like what I what I'm hearing anyway is that it's a bit like pop music is about connection, uh, either physical connection or spiritual connection or emotional connection. You know, it's like it's it's just about. Uh, connecting, and maybe that's what it is that's appealing to us, like this this idea of uh, just hearing songs about physical intimacy, about spiritual intimacy, about emotional intimacy, all kind of bundled into a safe kind of bubbly package. Like it, it allows us to say, yeah, I, I like these things, you know, with a happy kind of beat to it. Well, that was know? a quote that a bunch of people kept putting up on Facebook, right? After Prince died, it was, you know, 
people pontificating about Prince the person and kind of in reaction, people said, well, you know, their music didn't necessarily show you something about them all the time. It showed you things about you, that it was the, it was the rev, the self revelation that you're having in your connection to the music. I posted that. I know you did. All right. It's not mine. It's not original to me. No, but, but that sounds like exactly what you were talking about being, Right, they tell you more about yourself. School. Yeah, no, right. That they, 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 they say the thing that you didn't know you needed to hear, and when you hear it, mm-hmm. it, it shows you yourself to you. And it feels kind of like a secret message, right? Like it's not like you and your friends were sitting around thinking, talking about like, man, get a load of what <laughs> Prince was saying. Or maybe you were, but maybe like, I don't not. think so. I think that especially for adolescents, there's that moment. For me, it was this like this totally dates me. For me, it would have been like Alanis Morissette, like this kind of angry sexual woman expressing a, a kind of sexuality that was for me like in middle school and high school, like in my bedroom listening to it through headphones, being like, "My God, like this is amazing." I never would have like talked to my girlfriends about that. I would have never talked to anyone about it. It was this totally like secret message being conveyed just to me wow you know that makes sense to me like a middle school girl a middle school liz oh uh listening to uh alanis morissette that makes a lot of sense to me oh no i'm a little like, worried, <laughs> worried <about this. laughs> well i was just thinking how people um react to kanye sometimes and i think it's because kanye is saying something that's very true for him and probably true for a lot of people that feel like Kanye West does? Oh, no. Uh, All right. So Greg is about to say something really dumb here. I can feel it. Uh, Let's just say Kanye West has shown us who he is over the last few years, and that's a troubled person. Talented artist, troubled person. And yet for a lot of folks, and I'll just say like, white folks he comes off as what like uh you would use the word thuggish right the code word of thug or something like that to describe like who he is personally if you are tapped into what it is that he's saying he's a total genius right when it comes to his music and his lyrics and his sexuality right i mean i think that that's got to be a part of it like if you're threatened by black male sexuality you're threatened by the music of Kanye West the music industry and we've talked about how it divides things into genres and it's like okay you go over here and you go over there and you go over there and it kind of works to keep us separated as much as possible but a good song that connects people is going to hopefully transcend those boundaries that we kind of put up uh, for ourselves I think there's a lesson there for us about Right. It's a level of authenticity in music. I hadn't thought about it until you said it, Ricardo, about Prince and sort of your experience coming of age that um, we're all these unique beings created in God's image and different facets of that and different stuff turns us on and whatever. And when that's expressed in pop music, um, it's it's right out there front and center and we don't talk about it too much. We dance to it. And maybe we listen to it really loud in the car with our friends, but we don't actually talk about it. But we're all receiving that message. But it makes somebody feel not alone. I think it makes everybody feel not alone. But Katy Perry singing I Kissed a Girl and I Liked It that doesn't to feel an authentic. upbeat tune. Yeah. I don't know. I don't think that that feels It doesn't feel authentic. Yeah, it didn't, doesn't seem. Yeah. I totally thought when I heard that song she was going to be a one-hit wonder, I have to say. 
Me too. I really did. But nope. I love. What's up, Ricardo? I love firework. I do. I, I <laughs> still. I do too. Video. I preached about it. People cried during the frickin' sermon. Ugh. <sighs> firework. Okay, wait. So I do have something to say, Liz. What you were saying, and I think I lost it, but um, it totally sounded like a religious experience that you were describing to me. Anyway, you were talking about there's a, a message, and it finds you. And it hits everyone deeply, and you don't talk about it comfortably with your friends, but it's it's got an authenticity. I, I, it's funny. It, it is almost like a little bit of a religious experience for people who may not have religion. You know, religion doesn't speak to them, but they hear a song that really moves them and says something about them that is true, and they rise to it. Well, well we also all hear what we want to hear or what we can hear. Like, I mean, we've probably all had that experience preaching, right? Where people come up to you afterwards and we're like, when you said this thing, it really spoke to me. And you're like, I don't think I said that. Or, you know, then the next person is like, oh, it was really meaningful that your sermon was about X and Y. And you're like, ah, it really wasn't. But uh, there's something about like when we're all assembled and consuming the same thing and experiencing the same thing that we hear it differently. And I think that that's a function of the Holy Spirit. Like we have ears to hear. That's like a Pentecost thing, right? Like we have ears to hear um, what the Spirit is saying and we hear it differently. It's like those moments in ministry in church or when you're writing a sermon and you're, you realize you're trying to hit everybody. Like you're trying to sell, oh, do I have this group in there? Is this group in there? Is this, am I, did I? And then you realize that actually the clarity of you as an individual giving the sermon has been lost, that you've lost it, right? And that when we try to be everything to everybody, you know, Beyonce, I don't think she's at this point where she's sitting down and saying, I'm going to be everything to everybody. No, she is doing is a clarity of her message. And I think that's what's so amazing is just seeing her clarity. And it makes me want to say, you know what? I'm not going to get so bogged down all the time. And am I, is everybody feeling included all the time in my sermon? Um, Am I challenging? Am I pushing? Am I feeling like I'm delivering where the spirit is speaking to me as an individual and who I think it's speaking to us as a community? Am I, am I doing that? Or am I kid gloving everything? You know, am I trying to have a hit song every sermon or am I am I actually going to have clarity of my message that I feel I'm called to deliver? There's a moment of, I think, maturity. There's a turning moment in most priests lives where um, for the first time ever, the sermon that you preach is not better than the last sermon that you preached. Like you're hitting home runs every time because you're new and like maybe they're not home runs, but there are for you. And um, all of a sudden, you're not besting yourself with every sermon. And I think that that's like this really sweet spot as a preacher where you start then exploring that authenticity. Like you can't, you can't count on the thrill of being like, oh, man, I did it again, or I did it better than I did last time. You're gonna have some bombs. And then you start realizing that there's a voice that you need to find and preach from. And I think from, you know, we all were taught to preach primarily by the same preachers who were pretty grounded in like the new homiletic, which is mainly narrative and has lots of room for people to make connections for themselves. And that's kind of still where I come from as a preacher. And I think that that's kind of where pop music comes from too. And in the, in the best way, I mean that in the best way. Mm-hmm. Wow. Preaching Wait, are, from yourself. Yeah. yeah. Preaching from yourself and, and, and there being kind of a narrative where the connections are tenuous and um, the listener is, is filling in a lot of the blanks themselves. You hear things 
that you don't, you might not hear at another time in your life. And, you know, I'll listen to songs now that I maybe listened to when I was younger and realize like, oh my gosh, there's this whole other meaning that's either like really dirty or really beautiful or whatever it was that like I totally didn't get the first time that I listened Mm -hmm. to it, but I still loved it. And I think that when we try to force the connections and force the meaning, we, um, we sort of disrespect the audience or the listener. Wow. That's how I preach and I didn't know I was doing something like a thing. How many times you lived in pain? How many scars between your veins? Where were you when this was being real? I forgot about these mid-pod songs we used to play. This one's particularly pretty. You know, we would get these for free off of a website. I think it was like Free Music Archive or something like that. It was like um, copyright free music uh, back before we learned that you can just play like 15 seconds of a song and you won't get busted for it. It's fine. Um, But uh, I really like this one. It kind of sounds like a take on Champagne Supernova by Oasis. coffee hour before we get to that let's uh do some plugs and we'll actually it's been a while since we've plugged our own sites uh so we'll start with our guests but then we'll also um plug our host sites too so ricardo uh where are you what are you doing um and how can people get in touch with you i was recently promoted from associate rector to interim rector at saint luke's episcopal church in lovely long beach california i got i I have a i have an extinct blog that you can still find no, not really. Entertaining Angels dot something at WordPress. Liz, uh, where are you? What are you doing? How can people get in touch with you? I am the canon to the ordinary in the Diocese of Nebraska. And you can find me on Instagram. You guys know I love the Instagram. And you can find me there at Liz East. Uh, Betsy, where are you? What are you doing? How can people get in touch with you? Oh, Greg, I'm almost at the end of the school year, my friend. Almost. Oh, so close. Uh, anybody in the school chaplain world knows that the school year it is a it is a running with the bulls for the months that you do it and then the summertime comes and then you get to be on all the social media you want. So I'm on I'm on uh on Twitter, Betsy underscore Gons, which I think reveals my age that I actually used an underscore and I think. Doesn't that that sounds very AOL. Hopefully I'm gonna be doing a little more tweeting there. But I, I I serve as a chaplain at the Episcopal High School here in Alexandria, Virginia. Fantastic. Uh my name is Greg and I'm the director of children and youth ministries at Bethesda by the Sea Episcopal Church in Palm Beach, Florida. You can find us at bbts.org and you can find me on Twitter at that Greg Knights. So our five minute coffee hour, uh, Betsy, you had uh, something. You had a book book club. Book with Betsy. club. We talk a bunch about things that move around, like television shows and movies, movement pictures, the Nickelodeon ah, machines that, that the kids are using. Even though show. I know there's a screenplay in the works for these books, yeah, but. 
Um, it's Justin Cronin, and he is a former, I think now he gets to be a former college professor because he's now super successful. He's at Rice, and uh, and he wrote a book. I want to say it was right around the year I graduated from seminary, so 2010, called The Passage. And I remember I took the passage with me to Honduras to do my five-week Spanish language immersion because who can go be ordained Reverend Gonzalez with knowing no Spanish? So I went to go do this. And so I'm in this house with a host family and I speak nothing, yet I am in the home with this tome of a book that I've traveled as brick, hardcover book. And so I would just sit in my room until I finally felt comfortable to a, meet some other people who spoke English who were at school with me, and B, at, know some Spanish to be able to talk to other people. But I, I devoured this first book. Wonderful characters, great mixture of theology and just all sorts of things going on in it. And mysticism, just amazing. And then the second book, The Twelve, came out a couple of years later. And now we are on the cusp of the third book, City of Mirrors, is going to be coming out. I think, believe I I pre-ordered it months ago. I think it's May twenty fourth or something. It's supposed to be coming out. Now, what is this? Is this like a YA novel? Is this like a sci-fi? Is this what is it? It's an apocalyptic sort of vampire novel about survival and community and and something supernatural or divine coming down and salvation. Period. And it's also a failed Fox drama starring Mark Paul Gosseler from Saved by the Bell. Here's the trailer. We represent a government medical organization called Project NOAA. And we're on the verge of an exciting breakthrough, a drug that makes people immune to disease. What does this have to do with me? We're offering you a second chance. You have the opportunity to take part in a drug trial. I know what I do. You ever wonder what happens to these homicidal maniacs once they get in that elevator? I don't think about it. We're looking at a global pandemic. You get exposed at breakfast, you're dead by dinner. I got something. Nobody's gonna like it though. Yeah, well, I have a very open mind right now. Patient zero. After a short period of accelerated healing, he declined into this. He's immune to disease, lethal and ugly as hell. But we're still making progress. It's not just tweaks to the formula, it's age. Are you suggesting we try with a child? No, a child would come through with zero side effects. You wanted a solution. This is it. How feasible is it to find a child? It's a matter of finding a kid with no family. The CDC wants you to see a specialist in Colorado. How come there's no social worker? And how come they didn't send a lady? They always send a lady. They just sent us. Can you live with this? This either I live with it or millions of people die. She's making a break for it. Come on! If you touch the kid again, I will shoot you in the face. Does it hurt? Do you need any ice? No. Explain to me why you need a kid. I want the kid because I said I want the kid. You need to bring her in. There you go. Breakfast. 
New plan. We're not going to Colorado. It's a bad place. It is? Yeah, so we gotta find some place safe, which means you're gonna have to trust me. And I know you may not- Okay. Okay? Yeah, I trust you. Let's get the hell out of here. Let's go. A nationwide manhunt is underway for this man. They believe he is armed and dangerous. We need this contained. Do what you have to do. I know he's your friend. Doesn't matter. Where are we going? The only thing that matters is that you're safe. They won't be able to hurt you. You can do anything you want with your life. Let's go. Let's go. Give me the girl. I'm not gonna leave you. It's gonna be okay. We're talking panic and chaos. Your life is important. Yeah. I'm gonna be honest though, I it's a beautiful book. It's beautifully written. I loved the first half, which is sort of like pre-apocalypse, a lot more than I like the second half. Right. I highly Books. recommend it. You're reading a Stephen King book. I'm reading that Stephen King book about time traveling, which is now also a Hulu show. What Hulu show? Oh, yeah. With James Franco. Yeah, it's 11-22-63. And it's really good. I bought it at the grocery store because I hurt my knee and I couldn't walk around and I didn't want to just watch TV. So I was like, I'm going to read this really long book. And um, it's great. You know, it's typical Stephen King, like great storytelling, not super literate, literary. I should say he's obviously very literate. (laughs) (laughs) Not not really intelligible in any way. I'm a priest and I read books. I am a fan of audiobooks because I cannot sit down and read. I can't sit still anymore. I either fall asleep or I'm too busy, but I'm driving around enough, I guess, Southern California. And um, God, that Stephen King book is awesome. It's just wonderful. It's it's not super horror Mm-mm. kind of book. It's just it's a great story, and it really does make you think about like time travel and longing, nostalgia, wishing you could live in another time. Mm. It's great, and the passage is good too. So speaking of audiobooks, I just finished listening to the audiobook. It's called The Luckiest Girl Alive by a woman named Jessica Knoll. I must have heard about it in EW because that's where I get all my news. That's right. That's it our was, official news carrier of this podcast. That would be Entertainment <laughs> Weekly for the uninitiated. Yeah, come on. Please. Not so, Episcopal Weekly? No? No? <laughs> it's, it's really good. And uh, Jessica Knoll was interviewed in the New York Times a couple months ago, and I saved that article until I finished the audiobook. So that's good. It's a good book. You can find us on Twitter at Poppin' Collars. You can find us on Facebook, facebook.com slash Collars. You can find us on our website, poppincollarspodcast.com, where you can download each and every single one of our shows uh you can also find us on your favorite podcasting app be it itunes stitcher soundcloud any of those if you do find us there we just ask that you subscribe rate and review our show that'll help move us past that that goal of top 1000 podcasts in the spirituality category it can't be that hard like I'm looking at the people ahead of us like they've got nothing on our show come on we can do it hey this show is go. a sleeping giant your part. man it's gonna be to <laughs> <laughs> your part uh, finally we uh, we are featured each and every time on EpiscopalCafe.com we love EpiscopalCafe.com we know you will as well check them out for all your Episcopal news and beyond 
And so with that, that is Popping Collars for this time. Thank you, Ricardo. Thank you, Liz. Thank you, Betsy, for coming on the show. You guys are great. We'll see you next time. Keep those collars popped. Okay, that wasn't too bad. You can't find us on any of the socials anymore. And I would suggest for your mental and emotional health that you delete your Twitter slash X account. That's an unserious website operating as a successor to 4chan anyway. While you're at it, don't give any of Mark Zuckerberg's products any more of your attention. He doesn't care about the ramifications of his media and you shouldn't care about supporting his growing networks of misinformation and hate. However, definitely go back and listen to Lemonade Again by Beyonce. That is awesome. And thanks for taking this trip down memory lane. Speaking of pop music icons, rest in peace, Sinead O'Connor. And we'll see you next time. Pop, pop. Cause in this life,